1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. When you have it tonight, say amen. amen. All right. Notes are in the app, so you've probably already jumped ahead. Here you go. This is Paul writing. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and you've rather not rather mourned that he who has done this thing might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in the body but present in the spirit, I have already judged as though I were present him who has done so this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with the sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetousness or the covetous rather or the extortioners or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner not to even eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. So put, therefore, away from yourselves the evil person. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would give us um, an ear to hear and a heart to receive what you have for us. And I pray that you would just continue to give us wisdom. Lord, as we answer these difficult questions from the Scripture, Lord, your word has the answer to everything. And so I pray that tonight uh, you would just make it clear, make it plain to us, as you always do. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening, everybody. Glad you're here. Glad you're in the cool sanctuary with me. And as I mentioned, uh, I'm super excited to be talking with you tonight uh, on this Bible study. Uh, we've been talking about the you asked for it, all the different questions. And, uh, man, we've just covered such a vast array of questions over the last couple of weeks. But um, tonight, <laughs> I want to answer the question. You ready? Is it ever okay to kick somebody out of church? Is it ever okay to kick somebody out of church? Now, I want to preface that to say I have been a pastor for 18 years, and not once have I ever had to do this. And so I, I think that when you look at Scripture, we're going to look at this in a moment, we see that God's whole overarching plan is reconciliation and restoration. But yet we got to understand that in extreme cases, the Scripture does give us parameters whereby we need to handle certain things that are affecting the body. So, praise God. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a situation like that. And I don't, I don't mean just some little thing that where, you know, uh, somebody was causing a little trouble. I mean, like, for real, for real. It was before the whole church. You, you can't come back here until you repent, right? I don't, I've, I've never been in that before, but I can imagine what that would probably be like. But tonight, we're going to look at that. So we might ask ourselves the question, 
why would that ever be okay? After all, people would say, isn't God loving? Isn't he compassionate? Uh, isn't he um, all, uh, all inclusive? And isn't it anything goes? The truth of the matter is, friend, the gospel is not inclusive. The gospel is exclusive. Um, uh, Jesus says, uh, everybody's welcome, but you come on his terms, not on our terms. Hello. And uh, that's not popular. We got to remember the Bible still says that there's a narrow road. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, many that go therein, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. And so uh, a few weeks ago, I quoted a scripture in my Sunday morning message where uh, the apostle Peter was talking about, I write these things to you that you might know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. And I want you to know something this morning, dear brother and sister, this afternoon, rather, dear brother and sister, that there is an appropriate way to behave as we walk this sanctified life with the Lord. And so tonight, don't get too excited. We don't have a ministry here of the left foot of fellowship. But I do want you to know something that Scripture, not just in one place, but in many places, gives us the parameters which what we have to deal with certain things. So uh, tonight, just keep that in mind. Um, as I was thinking about this subject, right, because it's so deep and so tense, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about how the Bible refers to us as Christians as the body of Christ, right? The body of Christ. The Bible says we are lively stones built together, making a spiritual house. We're literally a living organism. A body is made up of cells. The body of Christ is made up of people, those people who are called by his name, those people who are saved. They have put their faith in Christ. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. They are destined for heaven. In that body is life. In that body is healing. Jesus has uh, given us, uh, uh, each one of us, uh, functions in life. We've been looking at the gifts and how God works all of us together. But the truth is, is that the body is meant to, to foster an environment of healing. Now, there's people in this room in the medical field. They'll tell you that when God created our body, right, talking about our physical body, uh, when he created it, it is a very intricate, delicate, yet complex system made up of different functions. You've got the, your sensory functions, and you've got all of your organs, your skin. You've got your immune system. You've got the circulatory system, all of that stuff. But our bodies are made to fight off disease, right? We've got red blood cells, we have white blood cells, and when the body's working perfectly normal and little children have played in the dirt when they were a kid and they weren't kept in all, all the time, right, and their immune system's built up like God created it to, then when the little cold virus and the bacteria try to pop in, they may get a little runny nose or a sniffle or two for a day or two, uh, kind of normal as a kid, but what happens? The body begins to react that, attack that, and dismiss it. That's how healing's supposed to work in the body, right? When one cell suffers, the other cells come to the rescue and, and do the process of the immune system that God created the body to do. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, but there are times where infection gets so rampant that doctors and medical professionals have to do drastic things. I remember talking to Greg Willingham. Mary, I was thinking about him the other day. But I remember talking to Greg when he got the necrotizing fasciitis in his leg. And they couldn't get it to, 
to, to go right, and you get necrosis, and you get tissue that, like gangrene or other things, and, and say it's in the foot, and it starts working its way up to the leg. The doctors have to make a decision at that moment, do we cut off the offending limb in the in the, um, in the hopes of saving the rest of the body. Because guess what? If they can't get a hold of the infection in the foot and it travels up the leg, then you've got a bigger problem. You probably could get sepsis and you could die. There's a lot of things that could happen. And so it's rather inconvenient and it's unsightly and it's painful to cut off the appendage that's offending. But in order to save the rest of the body, that is necessary to do. And, you know, that's a great analogy because just like the human body has these situations, the body of Christ does as well. And I think Paul is dealing with this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. So you've got to understand that no doctor in their right mind wants to amputate a limb just to do so. But sometimes it is absolutely necessary. And so that philosophy is the same as it relates to church discipline. In our passage, you can turn over there, you can look over there with me, but the Apostle Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, if you look in the history of Corinth, um, in, in just 1 Corinthians 1 and, first, and uh, 2 Corinthians, um, there was a lot of issues that were going on in the church of Corinth. They were the most charismatic, they had the... The, all of the gifts of the Spirit, and Paul gave them uh, teachings and instructions and corrections. But in all of that, the Bible says that there were things that were happening within the church body that were so terrible, Paul said that even the worst sinner Gentiles weren't sinning in the way that the Corinthians were. And specifically, there was one man in the church at Corinth, get this, he was sleeping with his father's wife. Now, it just simply says father's wife. Either way, it's messed up. It was either his stepmom or his mama, but either way, it was messed up. And the, what the messed up part about it was, people in the church knew about it. And guess what they did? Nothing. And Paul hears about it because it circulates back to him, and he writes this letter, and, and Paul rises up as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he calls the leadership of the church and everybody else to the table, and he says, this boasting that you're doing is not good. I want you to go and look at it with me one more time. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we won't read all of it again, but let's look at a couple of parts of it. Verse 1, he says, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man would have his father's wife and you are puffed up and you have not mourned. He's like, you don't even care. You're like, well, we're just glad they're in church. Like, you don't even care about what's going on. Paul said, I've already judged you in the spirit as though I were present. Um, and he says that when, we, when you come together, watch this, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, this is tough, look at this. He said, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul, his spirit might be saved in the, day of in the day of the Lord Jesus, on the day of judgment. 
Paul says, if this brother won't repent, you give him over to his flesh. And you, let, you, you just give him over to the devil. And hopefully that the, his, his flesh will be destroyed. And that he'll come around to himself. And he'll eventually get saved. You said, is that in the Bible? You just read it. And then look at what all he goes on to say. Paul says, your glorying is not good. Somebody say, it's not good. He said, it's not good. And so Paul begins to deal with them about their attitude towards this. So the question we're wrestling with tonight is, is it ever okay to kick somebody out of the church? And the answer is yes. But I, I want to, point number one of my message tonight is this. Write this down or take notes if you're taking notes. Number one, excommunication is never the goal. It's never the goal. God is so faithful. He's so merciful. He's so just. He's slow to anger, slow to wrath. Um, and I think that Matthew chapter 18 shows us this. See, I want you to understand something tonight. This passage of Scripture is not talking about a one-time sin. Everybody messes up. Listen, I don't care how sanctified you are. None of us are 100% sanctified. There's a difference between willful sin and, and, and sin of just omission. You know, all of us miss the mark. But there's a difference in living in open, unrepentant sin. And that's what this man was doing. But that's never the goal. God is always merciful. He's always gracious. And so much so, he gives us a prescription on how to deal with these issues. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter 18 with me. Just two beautiful verses, or three verses rather. Matthew 18, verse 15. And look what, uh, look what the writer says. Moreover, if your brother sins or transgresses against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. Right? And he says, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, you take one or two more with you, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. And then if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. I actually saw this in action today. I was watching the business meeting for the Assemblies of God today when I heard a, a missionary go to the microphone and addressed an issue that he had went to his local leadership and the leadership above him, and nobody did anything. So he just went to the general council floor and told everybody. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible says if there's, an, if there's a situation between a brother, right, you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. You don't take people. You don't put on Facebook. You don't send out a tweet or an Instagram. You go to them discreetly, and you give them an opportunity to make it right. If they don't make it right, then you take somebody with you. See, often we skip that step, but you shouldn't skip that step. You shouldn't get more people involved in reconciliation and restoration than needs to be, right? And so you then you take people with you. But then he says, if they don't listen after you take somebody with you or take two or three with you, then you take it in front of the church if it's a sin issue, right? But then notice this, but if he refuses even to hear the church, notice what Jesus said. These are his words. Let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. That's the words of Christ. Talking to us on how to deal with these issues of unrepentance 
in the church. So here's what I want you to know. Restoration is the goal. Everybody say restoration is the goal. But here's what I need you to know. Restoration cannot happen without repentance. Restoration cannot happen without repentance. Care, compassion, and humility should be taken when dealing with an erring brother. Listen, when we're dealing with sin in the church, just like Paul dealt with this man, I can promise you this was not the first time this man had been addressed and dealt with. It had been let go, let go, let go, and finally Paul had to deal with it. But when we find ourselves dealing with somebody who is with an, has an issue and they've fallen, the Bible gives us a prescription on how to deal with it. Also look at the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 1, or chapter 6 rather, verses 1 and 2. Here's what Paul said, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Then he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul's trying to tell us that, that uh, when somebody falls into sin, excommunication is not the first thing we go to. We, listen, if we kicked everybody out of the church every time they sinned, we would have a church full of nobody. Amen. But Paul, Paul tells us in Galatians 2 that uh, that when you find somebody, somebody who's spiritual, you go restore that person, but you do it in a spirit of, of meekness and gentleness, not cockiness, not arrogance. You know why? Because when you judge somebody, you be careful because you're, you may fall in the same trap. So he tells them, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. So when you see somebody that falls into sin, you don't say, well, I don't think I would ever do that. Mm -mm, don't, don't you say that. You say like Paul, except for the grace of God, go I. Amen? Put it back on God's grace. Everybody has the propensity and the ability to mess up. But we understand that putting somebody out is never the initial goal. But we also have to understand the second point right here. You ready? Severing such a relationship protects the whole. Why? Because when, just like that doctor, when he has to sever a foot that's infected, that the infection cannot be contained. If he doesn't sever that foot, that infection can go up to the rest of the extremities and cause havoc in the whole body. And so oftentimes it has to be separated so that it can, the rest of it can be saved. And the same thing applies um, because it's like leaven. Paul deals with that, and he mentions that very phrase. Um, look with me uh, in our passage and um, see what he says there. Uh, down about halfway in the middle in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when Paul says, your glory is not good, do you not know that little leaven leavens the whole lump? How many of you have ever baked before? And you have to put some yeast in the bread. It doesn't take a lot of yeast to make the whole loaf of bread rise. Why? Because yeast is it's that form of that leaven. And leaven, it spreads quickly. And the reason why they had to deal with that is because if not, it would spread to the rest of the body of Christ. 
got to understand, in the church, there, there are little eyes watching. There are little ears watching. There are young babes in Christ. And the Bible says that uh, if we too are, are, are to offend one of these little ones, and it's not necessarily talking about children there. It could be, but not necessarily. I believe more in part it's talking about young converts. If we cause one of these little ones to stumble, he said it would be better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be cast into the sea. That's Jesus speaking. And so if we don't deal with open rebellion, open, unrepentant, sinful lifestyles that's being condoned by the church leadership, what happens is that leaven leavens the whole lump. And guess what? If the kid, help me somebody, if the kids see the adults doing it and the adults are doing it and nobody cares, then the kids are going to do it and they're going to think it's okay. And you're going to have a whole church full of hellions, come on somebody, that don't know anything about sanctification and anything about holiness. And then all of a sudden, you're just going to have a whole mess on your hands. Sounds like the modern church. A little leaven leavens the whole entire lump. So what does he say? Purge the leaven because it will definitely spread. Letting people just act however they want, do whatever they want. You know, whether it's this type of stuff or whether it's gossip or without dealing with it, it lets other people know that that's acceptable and it sets the tone and the culture. So severing that unrepentant relationship includes not just church, but relationally as a brother and sister in Christ. You, listen, I didn't write this. Here's what Paul wrote in the end of 1 Corinthians 5 and verse number 13. He says, put the evil man away from you. Is that what he says? Put away from yourselves this evil person. He says up in that previously, he says, don't keep company with them. Haven't I wrote to you? Don't keep company with these kind of people. He's saying it's okay to be friendly, but you don't need to be BFFs. He's saying, I've written for you not to keep company with anybody who calls themselves a brother. That, that, that means a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. Anybody who is sexually immoral or covetousness or they're an idolater, he goes on to list other things. He said if they're willfully, openly practicing these things, he said, don't even go get Chick-fil-A with them. Don't go, oh, that hit home, didn't it? He said, don't go to Chick-fil-A with them. Don't go to Starbucks with them. He said, if they're not willing to repent, put them away. I see some of y'all right now. Your jaws are just wide open. It's in the Bible, folks. It's in the Bible. All right. Here's another one. In Romans chapter 16, look at what, look at what Paul also says. Romans 16, verse 17 through 19. He says, now I urge you, brethren... Note those or mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. For those are those who are such who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, their own appetite. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul told the church at Rome, mark those who are causing division among your church. 
Mark those who are causing offenses among those in your church and stay away from them. People say, well, I think you ought to be kind to everybody. Yeah, kind, but there are some people the Bible says you should stay away from. I didn't write this. Scripture did. Why? For those who do such do not serve the Lord, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, notice what they do. They deceive the hearts of the simple. So there are some people you have to cut fellowship with in life. That's hard, it's painful, but it's just certainly part of it. Severing that relationship does protect the whole. That's what happened in this passage. Paul uh, plainly, plainly, plainly says that we're to do that. Uh, notice, notice what he says here. Um, he says, but I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother uh, who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not to even eat with such a person. Now, let's finish that. Look what he says. Uh, he says, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? And then look at the rest of it. But those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, I want us to stop for a moment. Because that particular one or two verses right there at the end totally blows out of the water this idea. We're not supposed to judge. How many of you heard people use that before? Judge not, lest you be judged. How about take the scripture not out of context, lest you be like Satan? Because that's what you're doing when you quote it like that. The Bible says when we judge, you use righteous judgment. That we're not to judge the, the world, the world is already judged. The Bible says the world is already condemned. But listen to me, folks. In the church, when we are brothers and sisters in Christ, the type of judgment that, that happens among believers is not supposed to be a judgment of condemnation, but accountability. Accountability. Do you know accountability is not a four-letter word, but it is a curse word in most Christian households? People don't like to be held accountable. They don't want to be held accountable on their serving if they don't show up to serve in the sound booth or kids' ministry and they don't show up, you ask them about it, they might quit the church if you say anything to them. They don't want to be accountable. They want to want to be accountable with church attendance. They don't want to be accountable with giving or anything. Um, but listen to me. We're supposed to hold each other accountable. If you see somebody stumbling, you see your brother stumbling, you should reach out and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I see you messing up. Is everything okay? Let me help you. Let me pray for you. Let me strengthen you. Not in a condemning way, not in a, in a, in a judging in the way of, uh, you know, you're dumb or you're stupid or you're going to hell. Not like that but in a way of accountability. Paul said, we're supposed to judge among ourselves. He says, don't you know you're going to judge angels one day? That's what the scripture says. Those who make the rapture and go into the millennial reign of Christ, we're going to judge angels. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. That's what the scripture tells us plainly. But he tells us 
that we have to make a judgment. A judgment, see, we talk about judging. A judgment is a pronouncement. It's a pronouncement. That's one definition of a judgment. Another ju a definition of judgment, to judge something, I have two trees, right? I have an apple tree and I have a pear tree. I look at the apple tree and I say, that is an apple tree. I just judge that tree, right? I look at the pear tree and I say, that is a pear tree. You say, how do you know? Well, the type of leaves and the type of fruit. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruits, right? So we're not to be condemners, but we can be fruit inspectors, right? We're to be fruit inspectors. Um, when I grew up, they used to say, if it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. It's a... But today, you don't have to walk like a Christian or talk like a Christian, but if you say you are, you are. That works in this postmodern, you can claim what you want to be world, but you still got to live the standard of God's word. You can't just claim, I'm a Christian and live any way you want to. You don't believe me? Jesus said it like this. On that day, many shall say to me, Lord, Lord, I've done this in your name. I've cast out devils in your name. I've prophesied in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. How did I get off on that? Anyway. There's some people you should stay away from if they're unrepentant. If they're a Christian who's unrepentant, sometimes you just got to leave them to the Lord. Don't be, say, be mean to them. Don't be cruel to them. But you got to do what the Scripture says. Here's the third thing. Restoration, reconciliation is the goal. Is the goal. When Paul told them to deal with this man... At the beginning of this chapter, Paul said, Turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul's whole motivation of dealing with this man was that he would not miss heaven. Right? Paul's whole goal in dealing with this man was that he would not miss heaven, that his spirit might be saved in the day of judgment. Now, here's the thing. If that believer repents, they should be restored to fellowship. They should be productive, received, be a part of the church. You know the cool part about this passage is that 2 Corinthians picks up the rest of the story and do you know if you go and read in 2 Corinthians, um, this man actually repented. And Paul writes back to the church and he says, don't hold that against that brother any longer. Receive him back into the fellowship. Count him as a brother. Love on him. Encourage him. Strengthen him. See, it wasn't ever done in a mean spirit. It was done to correct and to protect the church. Now, let me give you some examples. Like I said, I've been a pastor for 18 years. I've never had to do this. But what are some examples that you would have to do something like this? Okay, let's just, let's just say um, uh, you've, you've got a, a brother in the church, right, or a sister in the church. And they are, um, 
overtly touches and flirty. And they're making people uncomfortable, right? It's borderline on the verge of sexual harassment. You go to them one time, you say, hey, you need to stop that. Okay? Hey, you need to stop that. But it's making people uncomfortable. It's doing things that are wrong. But they don't think they're doing anything wrong. And they've made it plain they're not going to stop that. Guess what you got to do? You got to go find somewhere else to go. You know why? Because we got a whole lot of other sheep to protect than for you to prey on everybody in the church house. That would be a good example. You know, it's one thing if you have somebody that's struggling with sin, that's trying to get free, but if you had somebody that was just openly living and promoting some type of odd thing or whatever and, and, and they wouldn't turn from it and it was affecting people, yeah, there may be an instance where you have to say, you know what, might be better if you don't worship here. Now, I thank God. I have never had to have such a hard conversation as, as such. But I know people who have. But what we see from the scripture is when that happens, God's goal is restoration. You ought to understand it takes a long time for somebody to get to that point. That's not a first time thing, whatever. That's a, I'm not willing to repent. I'm not willing to change. I'm just going to keep on living my life. And it's one of those very awkward situations. But somebody asked me this question one time. Is it ever okay? Because I don't think Jesus would ever kick somebody out of the church. Well, that's interesting if you believe Jesus is the word of God and this is the word of God. Because he gave us the instructions. Right? And so, interesting to me. Tonight, I don't even know how to land this plane. But I will say this. I hope I go another 18 years without never having to do that. I, listen, I have had to address people. Always do it privately first. Uh, Blonnie and I have had to call people in our office before, not here, but there was a situation where a, a, a leader yelled at somebody in a parking lot. It was so horrible. It was so horrible. And we had to pull them in and talk to them about it. And you know what? If they weren't willing to make it right, I was willing to tell them to go somewhere else. You know why? Because they had already ran off two or three families. No one person is more important than everybody else. Um, but I pray I ha never have another 18 years, uh, have another 18 years of not having to do that. But the Bible does give precedent for it. So if you ever ask that question or you ever come across this, um, it actually is there, right? So we can actually see it. So... Anyway, y'all better submit some better questions because I don't want to tackle that one again. Praise the Lord. Well, I should have did a funner one like tattoos or something. So uh, anyway, praise the Lord. You can close your Bible tonight. Stand up with me.